God, we ask you right now that you would speak to our hearts. God, for that, we need ears to hear. Um, God, if we're honest, we, we, we're always listening, and yet so oftentimes what we listen to, so much of what comes into our mind, God, so much of the content that we hear, uh, if we're really honest, God, it, it leads us to moments of insane anxiety. And that's maybe where some of us are at right now, God. We're just we're paralyzed by fears because we've listened to the constant narrative that keeps coming to us from the news streams and from maybe even doomsday preachers. And God, our lives and our minds are filled with fear and anxieties. For some of us, God, we're just full of cynicism. We hear the stuff that keeps coming at us and it just simply has turned our hearts into nothing but stone. We're just cynical. And cynicism dehumanizes us and ultimately leads us to a path of dehumanizing everybody else because we just, we cannot see people as people. We just simply see them as cogs in a system that's impersonal. And yet, God, it's, it's you who speaks to us. It's you who gives us life. It's you who rehumanizes us. It takes our heart of stone. It, re, it softens it and turns it into something that's living itself and then has the potential being life-giving. And so, God, we ask you right now, just in this moment of pause, that you would give us ears to hear. God, help us to be aware of our own cynicism, our own tendencies towards hardness of heart, our own fears, our own anxieties, our own moments in which we struggle with rage, inordinate desires that lead to lust and things that just take us far away from you. God, we pray that you just bring our thoughts, our hearts, our minds, everything back here right now, sitting at your feet and just allowing you to speak. So we commit this time in your hands. We ask Holy Spirit that you would move, transform our hearts, we pray. Give us a heart of flesh in exchange for a heart of stone. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in short, one of the questions we've been asking the past few weeks, I'll just go this again real quick recap. Um, why do we need direction? Because, as I already alluded to, we are constantly looking to something, to someone for direction, for wisdom, for guidance. And yet, uh, the Bible's pretty clear that really, at the end of the day, all of us are so impressionable as human beings. That's part of the makeup of who we are. We're insanely impressionable. So most of us, we tend to think the older we get, the less impressionable we are. Most of us, the tendency is to think that, oh, they're really young and they're really impressionable. We tend to think of impressionability uh, as a characteristic trait to like little four-year-olds. And yet the problem is the older we get, we are just as impressionable, except we have a better ability at cloaking it, at veiling it, at covering it, well, we're not so eager to really ex- exclaim all the things that we're super excited about. I mean, some of us are, because that's just how we're wired. But at the end of the day, we're all extremely impressionable. In fact, the, word, the Bible's description for us regarding this is that all of us are like sheep. We are all like sheep that have this propensity to go astray. And yet, Jesus is described as this good shepherd that comes to help these uh, straying sheep come back into a place of pasture, of life, in other words, is the metaphor that's being given there. So really, at the end of the day, we need God's guidance because all of us, as the great song would once say, uh, we are prone to wander, 
uh, prone to leave the God we love. That's just simply who, by definition, we are because we are so impressionable. And part of that impressionability comes from um, promises that these things offer to us. And, and one of the things I oftentimes say is that we oftentimes are so impressionable because we are so quick, so eager, so wanting something to give us definition. From the reasons why we buy new clothes, why we take a new job, why we move into a new uh, location. Or, or we, we do these things because by doing them, there's also this settled desire that we're going to get our new self. By new clothes, we're going to get a new self. By new clothes, we're going to get new self-esteem. We're going to feel better about ourselves. We're going to have greater confidence when we go out and hang out with other people. All of these are basically ways by which we buy promises uh, that come to us from all sorts of different substances or sources, and yet, at the end of the day, they, they never really give us what they claim. And yet, the gospel promise is that God comes to us and says, I'll give you a new self. I'll give you, by definition, new life. But you got to come to me. You come to me, and I will give you all of these things. So we are like sheep that go astray. So we are all in need of guidance. And the guidance that God provides for us is through what he describes as the Holy Spirit. His holy presence, his sacred, uh, unique presence that he says comes and takes up residence within the hearts and lives of his people. So why do we need God's guidance for these reasons? So one of the other questions that we try to ask and we're trying to understand is what are some of the ways by which God does speak through the Holy Spirit? So we know that the Holy Spirit really is the means by which God speaks, but what are some of the ways through the Holy Spirit God communicates? And again, we'll just go through these very fast. One, God speaks audibly. And again, all of these are basically found in Scripture, throughout Scripture. These are ways in which the Scripture describes that God speaks. I won't go through all these. You guys can get the uh, uh, messages online. But audibly, God speaks audibly through angels, through visions and dreams, Scripture. Creation is another one which God speaks. Prophecy, prophetic utterances, prophetic words. Uh, circumstances, praying, when we pray out to God, when we listen to God, God speaks to us, preaching, what I'm doing right now, through community, being within uh, a group of believers that are filled with God's Holy Spirit as uh, there is counsel that comes forth. And the reason why we encourage you, oftentimes, uh, get involved in a small group, find a place of other believers that love Jesus, that are equally committed uh, to hearing God, to being led by God, because you'll find that within that context, God will speak to you. And then ultimately and finally, in fact, this is one of the greatest ways in which we know that God speaks, because Scripture actually describes, and I'll read the passage in a second, is that God speaks through Jesus. Jesus happens to be the sort of climax of God's speaking. It's the way by which God communicates the deepest, most intimate, most revealing thoughts upon his heart. So the question is, what did God have to say through Jesus? That's of significance. So listen to a couple passages. Uh, I'll read these, and you can follow along, about Jesus. Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 16 through 19. I'll just kind of start with here. Jesus, we're told, he goes into a synagogue. There's kind of a common thing that Jesus would do in his hometown. It says that, in, uh, that he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up. Uh, to read. It was a common practice where a rabbi sometimes would, or a special guest, would take the scroll and begin to read it. It was kind of like their church service. So Jesus takes the scroll, opens it, he begins to read. And the passage that Jesus happens to read is out of the uh, prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And up, oh, sorry, go back one real quick. It says this, and it says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and then he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. There you go, sorry. Um, 
in verse 18 and 21, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says, Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and he began to say to them, Today, this is really the most significant part, today this scripture has been fulfilled. So what Jesus is really saying is that what he just read regarding the prophecy of Isaiah, that this prophecy is actually fulfilled in the very setting, the hearing of which that church context was actually taking place. In other words, Jesus is saying is that I have come, and I'm not just some random preacher come off the street to you guys. I am actually the embodiment, the fulfillment of what Isaiah spoke about. This is really significant, because really in short, what Isaiah is describing, he says four things that this person would come, that this one that would come to make things right would do. It says that he would proclaim the good news. This is one of the uh, Old Testament passages that describe what we call the gospel, that Jesus is describing that he was the one that was come to fulfill this proclamation of good news. What's to some degree the good news? It's the proclamation of liberty to captives. So in other words, this is a message to captives. It's also the recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty the oppressed. Now, real quick, why don't you guys turn your Bibles real fast to the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. If you don't know where it's at, you can check into the uh, table of contents. It's totally fine. Hebrews chapter 1 says this, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm actually going to read this to you out of the message, so you can, it's not, most of you guys, unless you have the message, it's not going to make sense, but just listen to it. It says, going through a long line of prophets, he says, God has been addressing our ancestors in different ways for centuries, and yet recently, he spoke to us directly through his son. So in other words, what the writer in Hebrews is describing is that throughout the centuries, God has spoken. So again, the picture is that God speaks, God has a lot to say, What does God have to say? What are the means by which God speaks? Well, in this case, God speaks to the prophets. God has spoken through the prophets, but in these most recent times, God has actually spoken through Jesus. So Jesus is the one through whom God speaks. So again, going back to the passage that we just read in Luke, I'll just kind of highlight a couple things. What does Jesus have to say? Because really, whatever Jesus has to say is really what God has to say. So this is really significant. Now, for some of you, and we've been trying to address this over the past couple of weeks, we wrestle with questions like, what is God's will for my life? And I, if I were to ask for a show of hands, like how many of you have ever asked that question in your life? Like, what is God's will for my life? What is God's desire, God's purposes for me? Uh, some of us, in fact, probably all of us, to some degree have had that question going through our mind. And typically, if you kind of trace that line of questioning back, it kind of brings it back to a handful of big questions. In other words, like, uh, the, the question to some degree might be attached to, who am I supposed to marry? I just need God's will for my life. What job am I supposed to get? I just need God's will for my life. Where am I supposed to go to school? I just need God to show me his will for my life. Uh, where am I supposed to live? I just need God to show me his will for my life. Oftentimes, the discovery of what God's will is for our life, oftentimes is attached to certain large spots on a map for us. That map of life, and the map of life oftentimes encompasses large categorical pit stops, like marriage, uh, where you're going to live, what type of job you're going to have, where you're going to go to school, all those kind of really large-scale types of things. 
And one of the things that we've been saying is that oftentimes, God does not give us very clear, definitive answers to those questions. Instead, oftentimes, what we find is that God points us in a direction, and he'll say, walk this way. Be this person. Love in this particular action. And so rather than God giving us literally a GPS with spots on a map that says, go to point A, go to point B, then C, then D, God oftentimes might just simply say, go to point A, and then once you get to point A faithfully, once you obey me and lovingly walk in relationship with me, then I'll show you what steps, what points you're going to go to next. And so what we really discover here is that there's a message, a bigger message, that's really bigger than the message that we oftentimes are really asking. Because again, for us, most of the time, we're simply satisfied to just know certain key, important, definitive answers to our life, and that's about it. Does that make sense? See, but, but unfortunately, God doesn't oftentimes operate that way. Because what I've been saying the past couple of weeks is that God is really not interested in just simply being our GPS. He wants to be our father. That's a big difference. It'd be one thing, like I got, I got two daughters. It'd be, one, it'd, be, it'd be actually disheartening for me if all my daughters ever really wanted me for was for cash or for information to help me do their homework, which I'm really not that good with anyhow, um, or for the keys to my car. If that's all my daughters ever really wanted me for, at some point, it'd be hurtful to me because I want more for them. I want more with them. I want to do life with them. I want to be able to go to ice cream with them. I want to be able to ride skateboards with them. I want to be able to spend time with them. I want to be able to watch a movie with them. I want to be able to just snuggle with them on a couch or to hold their hand when we walk downtown or to walk arm in arm when we're going to get coffee. I want to be able to just be with them. That's what brings me life, and that's what I want for them to find life in as well. And so for us to think anything less of God... I think, is to reduce God to nothing more than, a map, than to a map. And this is not what God's interested in. Now, this raises a lot of questions. Because some of us, that makes us a little bit nervous. The idea of actually being intimate with God, the idea of actually having a relationship with God is absolutely frightening to some of us. Because we would prefer to have a God that just gives us or renders a list of do's and don'ts, and we do the very best we can to try to abide by those do's and don'ts, all the while he periodically, in exchange, gives us a, p- a few points of interest upon the map. Does this make sense? So in other words, I do a couple things that God says. Okay, God says, don't cost, don't go to R-rated movies, don't drink beer. God, I've done all that. Can you tell me what I'm supposed to do next? It's sort of this business transaction. And God's like, it's, it's not how I work. You, you misunderstand me. It's not who I am. And what we see in Scripture is really a picture of a God that says, no, I I want more. I've come to declare something so profound, so transformative, so life-changing. If you just listen, it'll change you. So listen real quickly uh, how Jesus actually describes, based upon the Isaiah prophecy, who he is and what he's come to do. It says that he's come to proclaim good news. And again, each one of these has a corresponding uh, response or person or focus that it's uh, given attention to. So for example... Come to proclaim good news, gospel, to impoverished people, the poor, the the cast out, the castigated, the ones that are marginalized, the ones that are nobodies, if you would, in culture and society. God's come to proclaim liberty to the captives, those that are bound, those that are 
uh, enslaved by something, by some passions, uh, the recovery of sight to the blind. Those that are probably even on one hand physically blind, but also, no doubt, Jesus is also referring to blind in terms of a metaphorical sense, where you don't see clearly who God is. There's a blindness there. And then finally, setting free the oppressed. So I just want you to listen to that list again, carefully, just the people to whom he's referring. The poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. So really what I think the message in clear what God is trying to say through Jesus, in other words, God speaks, God speaks through Jesus, the Holy Spirit is communicating something to us right now, but those that are going to hear are to some degree going to fit within the category of being the poor, the oppressed, the blind, and the captive. Those that look at their lives are like, I am blind. I see things clearly. I know what life's all about. I know what's up in life. Those that are like, nobody holds me captive. I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm the captain of my own soul. I'm in control of my life. We'll find this message not only unhelpful, but maybe even offensive. Because the implication is that actually you are captive to something. You are enslaved. You are oppressed. We are blind. We're all impoverished. But to those that are in that category, and that recognize that, have this ability to be able to say, that, that is me. I identify with that. Those are my people. This is one of the beautiful things about the gospel, is that the gospel basically has this message to those that are broken, those that are lost, those that feel the sense of lostness, and those that are able to recognize it. That that's me. Then the voice of Jesus comes clearly and loudly that God has come to you to announce something good. Again, this is not just simply God has come to tell you who you're going to marry. God has come to tell you where you're going to get a job. It's actually better than that. Do you understand this? It's greater than God just simply giving you a point on the map showing you what the next step is in your life. It's about God closing the gap between you and him that was once filled with alienation and offense, separation. It's God closing that gap. This is, this is really what God's up to. This is what God's wanting to do. He's wanting to bring about this repair, of this breach, this relationship that was once hindered and broken the way the Bible describes by our own sin. But this kind of raises a question because really at the end of the day, oftentimes we are way too easily uh, satisfied. We, in other words, settle for lesser things rather than allowing God to lead us really to where God wants us to be led, which is really right relationship with himself. Um, I'm going to read a quote real quick. In fact, it's not in line with uh, all of these, so you guys have to check it out. Um, it's a C.S. Lewis quote. It's quote, if you've been around here for any length of time, you've heard me say it many, many times, but I have to say it every few months because it's this awesome. It's this quote um, from C.S. Lewis, uh, lecture on way to glory. He says this, It seems that our Lord would find our desires not too strong, but we're too weak. We're like half-hearted creatures, holding about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is actually offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't even imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. This is the idea that Jesus is kind of tapping into. That you and I, oftentimes as human beings, we just simply will settle for GPS coordinates when God's saying that you can have me. You can have me. 
with me comes life. With me comes forgiveness. With me comes me reordering everything in your life to make it new, to restore it from that which was once broken, to bring about a sense of life in those areas where there was nothing but death, to bring about a sense of welcome where there was nothing but alienation and offense. This is, this is God promising to take your life, which is defined characteristically by being blind, by being poor, by being alienated, oppressed, and enslaved, and Jesus saying, I'll make it all new. I will set you free. I will give you back your sight. I will set free your life from those captives and those things that master your soul and that leads you astray, that leads you to destruction. I will give you new life, newfound freedom. And all this comes within this context of God saying, I've spoken. My, my, my words bring life. This is what God promises. So one of the questions that we've been asking is, along these lines, why does it seem so hard sometimes to then discern God's will? And again, I think part of the answers to this is, you know, we're always just simply looking for a clear path and instructions. I think part of it is because we're actually asking the wrong question. It's really we're asking the wrong question. We're like, God, how come you haven't made point A through F very clear in my life? And it's so ambiguous, God, why? And God's like, because I don't, I'm not interested in just giving you maps, uh, spots on a map. I'm interested in having you come sit on my lap, come spend time at my feet, come just bury your heart before me. I don't like that, God. I want something else. God's like, there is, there is, there is, not, there is nothing else. There's nothing but empty promises out there. Maybe you can find other step programs. They may offer much, but oftentimes in the end fail to deliver. But if with me you want life, then you, you, you got to come to me. It's about relationship. It's not about pulling a lever. It's not about somehow making a deal. It's not about somehow a transaction. You doing all these good, righteous acts and then me in turn giving you a bit of instructions. It's you coming and being transparent and vulnerable and sitting at my feet and allowing me to minister and speak and heal and touch those areas of your heart that oftentimes you try to cover up and hide. This is, this is really what the voice of God has been declaring and speaking and how God speaks to us. And so... Again, one of the things that we've been saying all along is that what God's really interested in, next slide, is it seems that he's actually really interested in this sense of pursuing him. That this is one of the reasons why throughout the passages, throughout the scripture, we see passages like this. And again, I've read these past couple of weeks, so some of this is review. Deuteronomy 4.29, God says to his people, he says, if you seek me, uh, if you seek the Lord, your God, and you will find him, if you search for him with all your heart, uh, Lamentations, God says the uh, Lord is good to those who wait for him. So the idea is seeking and waiting for God. Uh, Jeremiah says you will seek me and you will find me. against the idea of this pursuit. And, and the best way that I can liken it to is, for example, when I first met my, my wife and we were getting to know each other, we kind of did this like little pursuit thing where I would call her on the phone and uh, she'd call me back and we would talk and be like, hey, you want to go hang out? Let's go to the beach. So we'd go to the beach and we'd sit down on a towel and we'd talk a little bit. I'd share a little bit about my life and she'd share a little bit about her life and then I'd ask her a question and she'd ask me a question. You understand what's going on there? That's, that's pursuit. That's exactly what God's saying here about his people. He says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. And we understand this in the context of personal relationships. It makes sense in the context of personal relationships. 
Now, if we were to somehow tweak those personal relationships to some degree where we're just like, look, I don't really want to sit down and talk with you because you just write a blog post for me and I'll read it and that's about it and I don't need to want to ask you any more questions about that, that would actually be offensive and it would completely ruin that relationship that may be going in a good direction. At that point, it will be suspended and it will fall apart because you'll, you'll, you'll wound the relationship. Where's that idea come from? It actually comes from this relationship of, stems from God. God designed us. He created us. He created you to have relationship with him, not to just simply follow a bunch of rules and regulations. It's one of the reasons why I would suggest the idea of understanding the person, the work of the Holy Spirit is so essential to the, really, I would say, the overworking, the outworking of the church and who we are and how we are in terms of a relevant community of people within the community, within this world, is because if the church is nothing more than a set of instructions and things that you do and things that you don't do, things that you avoid, at some point, the church just becomes this institution of doing good and avoiding evil. And, and that's, that's not what this thing called the church is. One of the reasons why the New Testament is rich with language to describe the church as actually being like a bride, the bride of Christ. It uses this insanely intimate uh, language to describe who the church is. And yet, every generation, we're always in danger of somehow simply turning God into nothing more than a list of things that we do and things that we avoid, and somehow calling that, slapping a sticker on that, and calling that Christianity. And yet, Christianity in its essence is about this relationship. And again, I know it's so cliche in our Christian culture to be like, well, yeah, Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship. I get it, but it doesn't steal away from the fact that it's actually true. It is actually true that God is interested in this relationship. God wants to speak to us, and God wants for us to sit and have ears to listen to what God has to say to us. It's about this pursuit. It's about me being able to pursue God with all my heart and what that looks like. It's going to look different for every one of us because each one of us are wired differently as to how we pursue. But to some degree, it's going to at least, for all of us, look like prayer. It's going to look like reading the Bible. And that's where I want to get into some really practical things and kind of finish this up. Because what are some real practical helps which we can employ within our lives to help us to understand who God is? And these are some things to kind of think about. Again, I've, I've mentioned these a couple weeks ago, but I'll just kind of go over them a little bit more in depth right now. One, read the Bible. And really what I say when reading the Bible, it's not just simply reading through the Bible. Now, I would say really the idea, the big idea behind reading the Bible really is, is simply to help us to re-engage with the absolute beauty of the gospel, the good news. The aim of reading the Bible should be reconnecting our thinking, our understanding, our hearts, not just our minds, but our hearts with the storyline of the good news. It's really the aim of it. it, it and it's, that's kind of a long way of simply saying the aim of reading the Bible should be to get us back in connection, reorientation with Jesus. That means that maybe some of us need to think about how you read your Bible, because maybe some of you don't even read the Bible. My suggestion would be to, for you to figure out a way and begin to read your Bible uh, but for those of us that do you read your Bible, maybe you need to think about how you actually read your Bible, because some of us kind of wired to read, just burn through massive chunks of Scripture, and that may be helpful, but at the end of the day, the question I would just simply ask is, are you getting connected to Jesus through reading like that? 
And again, the aim is to really remember, re-engage with the heart of the good news, the gospel, because that's what sets our hearts back on fire for God and wanting to hear from God. Uh, secondly, pray. What I would say with this praying is also uh, kind of tied into the third one, which is be alert. Praying is not just simply me bringing my laundry list of information to God, saying, God, take care of this massive list of stuff that I've going on in my life. It's also just cultivating a hearing heart that just says, God, is there anything now that you want to speak to me? Holy Spirit, speak to me. Is there anything right now that you are wanting to say to me in this quiet, in this moment, through my circumstances, through reading the Bible, through other people speaking in my life? Are there any things, God, right now that maybe in the quietness of me hearing you that, that I, I have not been able to hear in other circumstances or other contexts, God, I want to hear what you have to say to me. It's really this mentality of the thirdly to be alert, to just simply be aware of what's going on around you and cultivating this heart, this mentality of hearing from God. And I'll get into some things that kind of distract or uh, hinder hearing from God in just a second, but I just want to focus now on some of the more positives. Fourthly, obey. And what I mean by this is that if God's spoken something to you and you kind of sense very clearly God's saying, just stop this or get rid of this or delete this app off your phone because that's like sucking life away from you. If you hear the heart of God just whispering something to you like that, what God's asking for is, is us to simply take that and act upon that. It's called obedience. Taking what God says and acting upon it is just another way of saying being obedient to what God has to say. Be obedient to what God reveals. Fifthly, be in community. That God did not save you so that you can then go be and live out this thing we call the Christian life in isolation so that you would be in community. A lot of us are deeply troubled by being in community because, let me, let me put it this way, one of the reasons why uh, and again, there may be a lot of reasons, but some of them may have to do with you've been hurt in community, and I get that and understand. But some of us, we don't want to be in community because we want to continue to really manage and control our own lives. At the end of the day, we want Jesus, but we still want to be in control of who we are. Does that make sense? But the fact of the matter is, is being a follower of Jesus means he's Lord, not me. It means that he's king, not me. It means I surrender my kingship, I surrender my autonomy to him. And I let him be king of my life. I let him lead me to where he leads me. And sometimes, in a way that God does lead us, he will lead us into a community, a community of other Jesus followers who call this the church. And that church will offend you. That church will oftentimes have things and do things that will be offensive. I oftentimes say this to people like, look, if you come to Calvary Slow for any length of time, we will offend you. At some point, we will do things for you, towards you, that will at some point bring an offense to you. But the end of the day, what we hope to do is within that context, is to bring about healing. Because that's what the gospel does. Yes, we are imperfect people. Yes, we will injure. Yes, we will hurt. Yes, at the same time, God equips us so that we can also be part of that healing process. So that's, those are some things that we can think about in terms of that would help us to hear God speak. Finally, let's close up on some thoughts that oftentimes become hindrances to allowing us to hear God speak. One, having a faulty view of God. In other words, if you have a false understanding of who God is, if you think, for example, God is constantly angry with you, hates you, the likelihood of you actually even in any way, shape, or form cultivating an intimate, an intimate relationship with God is non-existent. 
you will not cultivate an intimate relationship with God, especially if you think that he's an abusive God. You will run from God if you think he's an abuser. You will run from God if you think he's angry. So you've got to have, to some degree, an understanding that's rightly squared with the God of Scripture. And again, look at Jesus. How did Jesus act? How did Jesus operate? What did Jesus say? What Jesus did, what Jesus said, rightly reflects the heart and the character and the nature of God. So I would say, if you're struggling to understand who God is, look at Jesus, listen to Jesus, and let that begin to reshape your understanding theologically of who God is. And then another one, for, uh, secondly, uh, oftentimes we have fear of intimacy or fear of being vulnerable. And we allow fear of intimacy and fear of being vulnerable with God to be a hindrance to us. So therefore, again, this ties into how we view God. So if we view God as being sort of an abusive, capricious God, he's temperamental, we're never really certain as to if he's going to be nice today or someday he's going to cause us to have cancer. If we think that this is how God is and what God does, the last thing we're going to want to do is go and open our hearts and be vulnerable to this God. The last thing we're going to want to do is be intimate with this God, sit at his feet and allow him to bring healing to us because we're afraid of him. We're, we, we just don't want to have anything to do with this God. Second, or third actually, one, two, two. Uh, thirdly, actually, is distractions. My numbering is a little bit off. Uh, distractions. We allow things to distract us just like that. It's a distraction. We have these distractions. I did that purposely. Just kidding. Um, and we have these distractions that are constantly part of our life. I mean, sometimes, I mean, at least for me, distractions come in the form of anything mobile, like iDevices or my iPad. I can oftentimes find myself sitting down and feeling like I need to have this thing in my hand. And on one hand, it's a great blessing. It's awesome to be able to look at the news. It's awesome to be able to have emails in my hand. It's awesome to be able to post a photo on Instagram, whatever the case is. At the end of the day, honestly, there's, I mean, there's literally moments where I'm tempted to be like, I'm done completely with anything Apple. I'm just going to go back to a flip phone. Because it's like I feel sometimes I'm scatterbrained. I'm so distracted by stuff that actually hinders my ability to hear from God. I mean, there's times I just want to sit down and listen to God and then find myself, like, tempted to check a text. I mean, next time, just do this test. Next time you get a text, count how long does it take for you to feel like you have to find out who's texting you. I mean, seriously, it's like if your phone buzzes right now, the instantaneous result for you is to be like, just check it out. Because we are so easily distracted. I'm telling you, that will actually hinder your ability just being able to hear from God. Because we are literally just schizophrenic when it comes to this type of stuff. Our minds are bouncing all over the place. So what that might mean for some of us is to turn off your phone. Just move yourself away from your computer to figure out a way which if, if music, if listening to stuff, if checking your emails, if looking your, at your Facebook account, uh, whatever those types of things are hindrances to you, then maybe probably one of the best things that you can do is just simply turn off your phone and sit there and listen to God. I know I have to do this a lot because I love to listen to podcasts and audiobooks and all this type of stuff. And there's times that I literally find myself, and I go on walks all the time throughout the week, and I'm always pretty active. One of the things I like to do often is listen to audiobooks. But there's times that since God's just saying, turn off your anything audio, anything music, anything audiobook, and just listen to me. That's really hard for me, to be quite frank with you. 
Because I immediately go back. I'm like, I only have like an hour and a half. And if I listen to an audiobook at double speed, I can knock out this many minutes. And, and it's like, I only have so much time. And I'm all like, like to some degree, I'm just crazy about this. But it's just like, there's moments where God just says, I, I want to speak to you. Do you want to hear me? Or do you want to listen to an audiobook? And these are things that sometimes we've got to really wrestle with because we are in a culture that is so filled with things that distract us. And those things that distract us often are the things that distract us actually away from the heart of God. Thirdly, or fourthly, I should say, busyness. I'm not even going to read my own numbering. Busyness, we're just super busy. I mean, it's one of the constant, ongoing narratives that we say. Like, you know, we ask people to be a part of something or to get involved in church or go to Bible study or to help out and serve or to go pray or something like that. One of the number one responses, I'm just, I'm just really busy. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And again, this is, just, this is one of the hard realities we've got to come to grips with. We will always make time for that which we find most important. It's as simple as that. Like, if it's important to you, you will make time for it. And that's shocking because at some point within that big bombshell of a statement, we have to come to grips with the fact that, you know what? The honest truth must surface that reading my Bible Hearing God's voice is not interesting to me. There I said it. Now comes the great opportunity of transformation. Because now that I've spoken it, now that I've confessed my frailties, my sinfulness, my sinful proclivities, now I can repent from it, and now I can turn to the God that brings healing. Does that make sense? But until we kind of get ourselves to the place of being like, you know what, I would rather watch chronic episodes on Netflix than listen to God. I would rather listen to many audiobooks than simply hear the heart of God. I would rather listen to music than to just worship Jesus myself. I would rather, and we fill in the blank with whatever it is. The moment we're quick to honest, simply said, I'd rather do all these other things than simply sit with God. That becomes the new possibility of, of healing for us. Fourthly, fifthly, again, done with my numbering system. I keep saying that. Unrepentance. In other words, when God says something to us, and we don't, we don't do it. In other words, we walk in a path of disobedience. God reveals to us something, and we're like, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to walk away from that. I don't want to let go of that thing. Then what happens is we do what the Bible describes as we grieve the Holy Spirit. Again, grieving something or grieving someone is actually a relational term that only personalities can actually be grieved. In, in a relationship, a human relationship between, say, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever, uh, that relationship can actually be grieved by somebody saying something that's offensive or not doing something that the other person asks them to do. And it's the same thing with, with God. There are times in which we can grieve God, where God speaks something clearly. We know that there's something that the Holy Spirit is just whispering upon our hearts, to our hearts, and at the end of the day, we just simply make sort of this decision. It says, no, I won't do that. And sometimes there's those moments where, that, maybe that's where some of our lives are at right now. We're just kind of in this place where God has already spoken. So we're like, God, speak to me. And God's like, I already have spoken, but what I've spoken, you, you've, you've conveniently edited it out. You've conveniently dismissed it. Go back to that and deal with that. Redo your first works over again. And then your life will be renewed. And relationship will be restored. There's this passage in the book of Hebrews, and I'll close it here. Uh, it says, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, it says, The Holy Spirit says, again, this is 
The Holy Spirit speaking. The Holy Spirit is speaking. Here's what he says. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And the uh, picture that it's actually borrowing from is this Old Testament narrative and what the story of what's called the Exodus, where Pharaoh was actually being spoken to by God through the channel through vehicle called Moses. And Moses was like, hey, let God's people go into the wilderness. And Pharaoh was like, no. And repeatedly, this phrase is used over and over again. It's that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And God's saying here to his people, he's like, today, if you hear God's voice, one of the greatest dangers that we can have or engage in is to harden our heart. That's a graphic picture because it's a picture that basically describes a heart that's shrinking. It's, it's lost its sense of life. Another word for that is dehumanizing. And yet the Spirit of God right now speaking always to our hearts saying, now come to me, I'll give you life. So if I were to end right now and just be like, okay, everybody, you're going to go out and try to do the best you can to hear the voice of God and live for God and do all these great things, and your life will be awesome. And some of you are going to actually try it and be like, that's awesome, I'll do that, I'll make efforts, I'll read my Bible, I'll pray, I'll turn off podcasts, I'll do all these other things, and it's going to be great, it might work for a few weeks or whatever, until some point you get busy and then you're like, ah, I'm not doing it right, and you get all full of condemnation. Others of you be like, I... Okay, I'm, I'm, I, I can't do this. My life is already broken. I'm the one that is um, impoverished and I'm mastered by other things. I'm oppressed. I'm broken. And yet, if what we do is before we even launch out, if we just simply understand why we can hear God's voice and why this is so important and really the gospel within this, what we see is on the cross is Jesus Come, Jesus, who is always, in fact, Jesus is described as the word of God. He is the spoken, understanding who God is. Come incarnate, in the flesh, on the cross. Jesus cries out, it's told to Isaiah, that he bore our sins. And on the cross, Jesus cries out to the Father, and in response, silence. In other words, the one who is the articulation of the heart of God, speaks to God on the cross, bearing our sin, and there's nothing but silence. Why, when Christ cried out to God, was there no answer from God? Because Jesus was bearing our offenses. In other words, he was taking upon himself everything that you and I do in our lives in terms of rebellion. He was bearing upon himself our poverty, our slavery, our oppression, our sinfulness, our offense, our death, All of these things he was bearing upon himself so that he can create a way whereby we can become children of God, sons and daughters of God, to hear God's voice. In other words, he endured silence for us so that you and I who live our lives and have lived our lives in rebellion to God have heard heard nothing but silence can actually be brought into a place whereby we can hear God's voice and live. It's not just simply hearing God's voice. It's hearing God's voice that leads us to life in obedience. And I want to invite you to that. So no matter who you are, no matter where you're at, no matter what stage you are in this journey of life, whether or not you're not a Christian or whether or not you are a Christian, no matter how far along you are in this path of following God, all of us at some point we need to hear God's voice. If you're here this morning you're not a Christian, what you need to do is you need to hear the voice of God and bring your life and your sins and rebellion and your brokenness to God. Lay at his feet. Say, God, 
here it is, here's my life, here's all that I am. For those of you that are Christians, that maybe you've been following even Jesus for a really long time, and yet you've just simply been sort of manipulating the scene, the landscape, because you've seen God as nothing more than a means to give you GPS directions, as opposed to a father that truly just wants to have a relationship with you. So for all of us, this is, this is a call, it's an invitation for us to come to, come before this God and just say, God, here I am. What do you want to speak to me? What are things that are in your heart, on your mind that you want to unload, share, reveal to me? I want to be obedient to that. And that's what I invite you to. So why don't we respond? Why don't we all stand? And why don't we just get ourselves in a posture of responding to God. One of the things I've been saying over the past few weeks is I like to personally, when I'm in moments of just wanting to hear from God, I just, if, if I'm by myself in my room, I'll sometimes get on my knees. Uh, but oftentimes I just kind of lift up my arms like this. And it's just a way of, it's just a posture. It's nothing magical, but it's just a posture that just says, God, I want to hear from you. So if you feel comfortable with that, you're more than welcome to do that. If you don't, that's totally fine. But I just want to invite you to, just to, to have your mind, your body, your heart, your soul in a posture of hearing from God, of receiving from God. And we're going to respond by singing, but I want to just take a moment before we begin to sing, and before we actually respond by partaking of communion, because we respond by singing, by song, but also by supper. We partake of the communion. It reminds us of the fact that even though we are broken people, we have a God that came into this world whole in order to be broken, so that we who are broken could actually be made whole. This is the God that invites us to bring our brokenness, to bring our lives of confusion, to bring all of these things that we have, no matter how messed up, no matter how ruined they are, no matter how lost you feel, to come to this God and to just cast yourself back upon Him and listen to Him. Ask Him, God, what do you want to say to me? So just take a moment. Let's just put ourselves in a posture of responding just in the quietness between you and God. Right now, you, you ask God, just quietness of your heart, God, what do you want to say to me? Maybe some of you need direction. It's okay to ask God for direction. He's a father. He loves you. He wants to help you. He is actually interested in putting GPS directions on your map. Right? Don't, don't, don't misunderstand that. It's not less than that, but it's far more than that. So ask him. Just ask him. Spirit, come and speak to our hearts. Reveal, God, your desires, your thoughts. God, reveal areas in our lives maybe that have been incongruent with you. Maybe we've been living out of sync. Our our lives are not right. They're, They're not only broken, but they're also bringing brokenness into the lives of other people. We want to bring 
that to you and just ask that you would bring healing. So God, as we sing, as we respond, just bring life into our hearts, bring awareness to those things that need to be reordered and healed. Bring healing, God, and forgiveness where there's areas of sin.